Exodus 32, verses 1 to 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against this people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help as we come to this frightening chapter. Um, It it is frightening for what it says about us, and in some ways it's frightening because of what it says about you. And so we, we come begging for your grace, praying that you would keep the promise that your Spirit would accompany your Word, that He would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we would see your truth, that we would uh, see and hear the gospel, and that we would respond with our repentance, with our faith, and with lives of obedience. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't enjoy talking about the anger of God. Uh, It's certainly a topic that our culture finds unacceptable. Uh, Most people in Tallahassee would say to us, 
Christians, we, we like that message, God is love, but a God with wrath? Not so much. And I find this topic uncomfortable, not only because it's culturally unacceptable, but also because it's personally disturbing. If God is angry, is He mad at me? Is His wrath directed towards me? My guess is that many of you are like me, uncomfortable with the subject of the wrath of God. And we tend to ignore what we don't enjoy, right? We tend to run from what makes us uncomfortable. But if we are going to have any integrity with the Christian faith, if we're going to have any integrity with the Christian scriptures, we have to talk about God's anger. We have to talk about God's anger. Verse 10 of our text this morning. This devastating moment when God says to Moses, let me alone so that I can burn in my wrath. Consume these people and start over with you, Moses. We can't look the other way. We can't move on to more pleasant subjects. And so I I, want to invite you with me this morning as as we consider this text. Acknowledging our discomfort. Acknowledging that this is disturbing in many ways. But honestly reflecting on God's anger. We'll do that in two parts. The, The cause of God's anger and the change of God's anger. First of all, the, the cause of God's anger. What angers God in Exodus chapter 32? Well, it's this cow, right? Probably a bull made from gold. And think about how this sculpture happens. The people were tired of waiting for Moses. And remember that Moses was for them their access to God. So, through Moses, God had rescued them. Through Moses, God spoke to them. Through Moses, He provided for them. He protected them in the wilderness. And now, impatient with the absence of their access to God, the people attempt to create an alternative. You see, this golden calf is their attempt to make another point of contact with the divine. Along with most of the cultures around them, these people would have thought that certain objects, certain images, had the power to connect them to divine beings, to unseen forces that would possibly, maybe, Give them what they wanted and needed. So the bull, this symbol of strength and virility, shaped like a footstool, was a common way for people to reach out towards what was unseen, to invite the gods to put their feet within them as a people. 
Now, that seems kind of silly to us. That seems a a deluded worldview to us. But God took it very seriously, didn't he? This was not just silly to God. It made him angry enough to want to consume them. Why? Why does this sculpture make God angry enough to want to completely annihilate this group of people? Well, because in replacing Moses with the golden calf, they replaced God. In replacing their access to the divine, they replaced the deity. Notice that in order to make this golden calf work, they have to completely retell the story of Exodus. They have to say, we were freed from slavery in Egypt, not with the God who was connected to Moses, but by the gods, the supposed gods, who are connected to this golden statue. They also have to redefine their experience at Sinai. God had brought them to this mountain. He had met them there. And remember what he's doing? He's marrying them. He's making a covenant with them. And remember from Exodus chapter 24 that a part of this ceremony, a part of this wedding ceremony, the the people made sacrifices, burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the elders went up the mountain and they saw God. And what did they do when they saw God? They ate and they drank in His presence. You see what they do here in verses 5 and 6? They recreate that experience. In the presence of this statue, they make sacrifices, burnt offerings, peace offerings. They eat and they drink as a festival to the supposed gods connected to this image. They reject the God who had powerfully loved them. For a parody, a lie of their own creation. He extends his love towards them by rescuing them, by providing for them, by speaking to them, by protecting them. And they say, no thanks. We'll find what we need elsewhere. We will make a way to the divine, for ourselves. Moses, when he comes down from the mountain, you see this in verse 19, he he has these stone tablets. And in his anger at what he sees, he throws them to the ground and breaks them. That was not an impulsive act. That was a symbolic act. Because on these stones were written the words of the covenant, the marriage vows between God and His people. And so Moses shatters the tablets to say, people, you have shattered this relationship with God. You have abandoned your commitment 
You have betrayed the one who committed himself to you. You have cheated on your spouse. And God's burning wrath is a response to that. His anger emerges in response to this deep and tragic betrayal. And sadly for us, this just isn't merely a historical tragedy. Paul in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that this tragedy, this tragic betrayal happened as an example to us. In other words, this is potential. This is a possibility for us. That as God extends His love towards us in an even greater way through His Son, Jesus, we would say, no thanks. I'll find what I need elsewhere. That, that in our impatience for happiness, for safety, for significance, we would create alternative points of contact. Money, success, sexual fulfillment, relationships of all sorts. And that we would go to those things believing that we can find what we most want and need there. And in doing that, we retell our story. We redefine our identity with God absent or even antagonistic. We betray the one who has reached out to us, committed himself to us. That's the inclination of the human heart. That's our default direction. You see, Exodus 32 is just Genesis 3 all over again. It's God saying, here is what you need, and it's humanity saying, no thanks, we'll find it elsewhere. And I know that it is, that is a part of us, not only from Scripture, but from my own life. A couple of weeks ago, I figured out that our family budget wasn't going to allow me something, it wasn't going to allow me to have something I wanted to have. It was something small. It wasn't a necessity. It was a luxury. But that totally messed with me. For days, I was agitated, frustrated, and angry because I couldn't get what I wanted to get. Why? Because my heart attaches to money as access to comfort and joy. And when that access is threatened, anger, fear. I'm guessing that I'm not alone in that. I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room who's experienced that. But when that direction 
takes over and rules our life, we are rejecting the love of God. We are rejecting the love of God. And we are substituting His love with a parody, a lie of our own creation. but I've just made things worse. I've just increased our tension with God's wrath, with His anger, because I have made it possible for us to be a part of the cause of God's anger. But with that tension in mind, I want to ask you to take another step with me. Let's take another step, because this isn't the end of the story. The cause of God's anger isn't the end of the story. Uh, Let's... Take another step and let's look not only at the cause of God's anger, but the change in God's anger. What transforms God's wrath in Exodus 32? Verse 14 says that he relented. He turned away from his intention to annihilate this people. Why? Why did God turn away from His burning wrath? Well, because of Moses. Moses was the reason that God's fury didn't destroy the people of Israel. It's a beautiful irony here. That as the people try to replace Moses as mediator, Moses goes beyond being a mediator for them. He becomes for them an advocate, an intercessor, who begs God not to give them what they deserve. He implores God not to utterly reject them, but to continue to accept them and receive them as His people. And notice, Moses doesn't appeal to God uh, based on some inkling of goodness within these people. He doesn't implore and appeal to God because there's still a little bit of good in them. He doesn't implore God on the basis of their future success. He doesn't say to God, you know what, they'll do better next time. No, he appeals to God on the basis of God's reputation with the nations. He says you want to see the nations as a God who is committed to your life. And then he, he appeals to God on the basis of God's own faithfulness, his own fidelity to the promises that he had made, not just to Moses, but to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before Moses. And then finally, Moses appeals to God with his own life. Look with me at verses 30 to 32. We didn't read them the first time around. But look with me, would you, and let's read verses 30 to 32 of of Exodus 32 together. It says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, Please blot me out of your book that you have written. This is remarkable 
Again, this beautiful irony. The people are actively rejecting Moses. And Moses stands before God and says, Reject me on their behalf. Take my life for theirs. Now God doesn't take Moses up on this offer. But in response to Moses' advocacy... He does restrain his judgment. He does send punishment on the people, but he does not completely reject them. He continues to keep them as his people because Moses stood and prayed for them. And at this point, we need to hear a refrain. We needed to hear a refrain that we have heard throughout this series in the book of Exodus. It is the refrain, we have someone better than Moses. Moses is remarkable here. But Jesus is better. Jesus, who not only stands and says, I am willing to be rejected for them, but Jesus is rejected by his Father on the cross for our acceptance. Jesus not only temporarily and partially turns away the wrath of God, but Jesus takes on Himself, on His body, God's wrath on our behalf. And He didn't stop there. You know, this past Thursday, in the traditional Christian calendar, was Ascension Day. And what I love about that tradition is it reminds us that Jesus didn't just die and rise. But Jesus ascended. He ascended to the throne of heaven. And why does that matter? Because it means that Jesus right now does what Moses did in Exodus 32 only better. It means that Jesus stands before the throne of heaven now. Every moment of every day, our advocate, our intercessor, the one who prays for us, that God would receive and welcome us. And not reject us. And what that means. Is that if our faith is in Jesus. God's face towards us. Is not burning with wrath. His face towards us. Right now. Shines. It means if you are outside of Christ, that God has restrained His judgment for now as an invitation to turn to Him and to believe and to receive God's favor. Christians, and I'm talking to the imperfect Christians who sin with great regularity, like me. Christian, God is 
not mad at you. God is not mad at you. In fact, He delights in you. He loves and even likes you. And the proof of that isn't your obedience. It isn't your circumstances. It isn't your emotions. The proof of that is the risen and ascended Christ standing now and saying, I died for them. I rose for them. They are mine. God is not mad at you. Yes, we have these attractions in our lives that would pull us away from God. But do you know what strips those attractions of their power? It is to know that Jesus is our exodus, that He is our freedom, that He is our manna, that He is our water in the desert, that He is our warrior, and that He is our advocate. Those attractions will lose their power if you can with worship and trust contemplate Christ and what He has done and who He is. And the reality that God delights in you because of Him. I know some of you are fans of the, of the radio show This American Life. And I heard an interview that Ira Glass w- was doing. And he, he was talking to this person about social anxiety. And, and Ira Glass started to open up about his own social inadequacies. And he started talking about how in all of his relationships, he's always finding ways to ask the question, am I in? Am I in? Am I in? Hearing about God's anger can raise that anxiety for us. Am I in? Am I in? Have I done enough to get in? Would you please hear Jesus? Would you please hear Jesus saying to you, I suffered the fullness of God's wrath. I pray for you right now. And because of that, you're in. You are in. You are in. 